Thank you for inviting me to be here. Thank you for your warm welcome that I've already had, not just from Christian, but from Brett and Bryce and Rashon and Mickey, and for your, your worship. I worship uh, what I would euphemistically call a blended setting, which really means we're um, hanging on to traditions that often make church feel a little stiff to me at times. And I got to say, we're in the season of Lent, and I haven't been singing hallelujah much these, these uh, past weeks. So it's been a real joy as well to, to sing to our Lord and worship with you. Um, if you need lessons in hospitality, which I'm sure you don't, but these are the guys to go to. If you, if you want some cues on how to make people feel welcome and involved and included, I'm sure they provide you with those opportunities all the time, but they are great examples to you. And I'm, I'm proud to have met you all right now. As you know, you're doing minor prophets right now, and I want you to know no one preaches on Habakkuk 2. Nothing, nowhere, anywhere. You get the first four verses once every three years in the lectionary cycle. And it's mainly chapter one, which you got from Christian on Sunday. So I'm, I'm here to let you know that you will leave this room unsatisfied because I'm going to end at the end of chapter two. I'm not going to steal Christian's thunder for Sunday when he preaches on chapter three. So you got to come back. That's, that's really my, I'm going to start with the charge <laughs> right here, right now. God bless you and come back for the rest of the story on Sunday. Right now, I do want to share the word of God with you this morning as it has come to us. And it is from Habakkuk chapter two, verses one through 20. I like to read from the NRSV. So hear the word of the Lord for us this day. This is Habakkuk speaking at first. He says, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what God will say to me and what God will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord said, answered me and said, write this vision, make it plain on tablets so the runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Moreover, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. They open their throats as wide as shale like death. They never have enough. They gather all nations for themselves and collect all people as their own. Shall not everyone taunt such people and with mocking riddles say about them? Alas for you who heap up what is not your own. How long will you load yourselves with goods taken in pledge? Will not your own creditors suddenly rise and those who make you tremble wake up? Then you will be booty for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all that survive of the peoples shall plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence to the earth, to cities and all who live in them. Alas, for you who get evil gain for your houses, setting your nest high to be safe from the reach of harm. 
You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. The very stones will cry out from the wall and the plaster will respond from the woodwork. Alas, for you who build a town by bloodshed for, and you found a city on iniquity. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor only to feed the flames and nations weary themselves for nothing? But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Alas, for you who make your neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath until they are drunk in order to gaze on their nakedness, you will be sated with contempt instead of glory. Drink, you yourself, and stagger. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and shame will come upon your glory. For the violence done in to Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of the animals will terrify you because of human bloodshed and violence to the earth, to cities and all who live in them. What use is an idol once its maker has shaped it? A cast image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in what has been made, though the product is only an idol and cannot speak. Alas, for you who say to the wood, wake up to the silent stone, rouse yourself. Can it teach? See, it is gold and silver plated and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a little context for us. For those of us who are not minor prophet or Habakkuk scholars, and that would include me. Um, So we have the divided kingdom. The Assyrians have come and cleared out Israel. The Babylonians have made at least one trip down into Judah to, um, you know, harass them. And so here this morning, Habakkuk is crying on behalf of the oppressed of Judah. and, And they're crying out to the Lord for help because they're crying out about the violence that's being perpetrated within their own community, within their own nation. They're divided, actually, among themselves, and they quarrel, and they fight, and they bring havoc to their, each other's lives. And the law, the Torah, might as well be propping open a door because no one pays attention to it. No one follows it. No one enforces it. There's no justice in Judah. They are a wicked, wicked people. It's Judean against Judean, and God is not happy. And so, in response... God's going to send the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, and to cart off all the people into Babylon as slaves. And that is some tough love. 
I think I actually would have preferred for continued silence from God rather than this promise of divine retribution in the form of a marauding army. And Habakkuk is like, say what, God? And I get it. I I get it. There have been several times in my own life when I have cried out in full-blown, red-faced, snotty-nosed anguish, demanding an answer from God. Sometimes it's an answer I can understand. Sometimes it's an answer that I refuse to comply with. But a fair amount of the time... I'm at least disappointed, and I, I might even be devastated by God's silence and seeming indifference. So here's a small, small example. When I was 12 years old, my family moved from Fort Worth, Texas to Denver, Colorado. Yeah, woo, Texas. <laughs> you can't hear it now. But I arrived in Colorado with a thick drawl. And well, kids can be cruel. I'm sure none of you are or were cruel, but those other kids, those kids in Colorado, they were mean. And I was the target of relentless teasing among my classmates. I was regularly humiliated at recess. On one particularly rough day of mocking and teasing, these words came out of my mouth. You'd better shut up or I'm going to sick my bull on you. (laughs) Yeah, more ammunition, right? Right? So there I was, surrounded by 12-year-old Babylonians, and daily I was reminded (laughs) that I was unliked unwelcomed and unwanted and in my mind I had this bargaining relationship with God I grew up in the church of Christ I will be perfect God and you will protect me that's the deal right and I lived that deal for another 10 years or so and I worked really hard to be perfect But there was this tiny little worry in my mind that maybe this bargaining thing with God wasn't really going to work out because is God really going to hold up God's end of the bargain? So who are your Babylonians? Are they your parents? Are they your siblings? your friends, your professors, the administration of Sterling College. Maybe it's your church family. Maybe your Babylonians are American society and culture. People who, who hold you down. People who hold you back, who tell you you aren't good enough, you aren't smart enough, you aren't pretty enough, you aren't tough enough. People who say that God doesn't love you because you're queer. God doesn't love you because your skin is the wrong color. God doesn't love you because you have a tattoo. And who said it was wrong to be mad at God? I'm mad. Who are the 
Babylonians that plunder your joy, that violate your peace. Well, back in Habakkuk, those original Babylonians, the one that God is sending to Judah as a consequence, you know, they're the biggest, toughest, meanest fighting people ever to walk the planet. And Habakkuk wants to know what God's going to do about it. And I'm just going to stand here and wait, God. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yo, God, you know, I got all day, right? You know? And if you say you are who you say you are, then you'll give me an answer. And I always wonder, how long did Habakkuk have to wait? Right? Because right then, immediately, what seems like an immediate answer, the Lord answered me, says Habakkuk. Maybe he was as shocked as Job was. God answers. And what he says is he's going to tell Habakkuk, write this down, let the runner read it. This is what's going to happen to the Babylonians. All that plundering, self-exaltation, oppression, exploitation, idolatry, that's going to come back to them in full force. Verse 16, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and shame will come upon your glory. Hey, yo, Babylon, what goes around comes around. Habakkuk's lament for Judah is a long line of laments and they haven't stopped even this morning. There are people who stand up and they name the injustice. They name the violence that's happening in our world because we need to resist what's threatening well-being and happiness. There are Babylonians at work. We don't have to go back 3,000 years. We just have to go back 100 years. Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. The mass slaughter of Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and communists and Christians and the handicapped. And just this week, a judge in Amsterdam removed the plaque of Joachim Elti because the residents in that neighborhood didn't want to be reminded of the Holocaust. Or apartheid in South Africa. While the white minority made it essentially illegal to be a person of color. And the Bible was used to support their claim just as it was with slavery in the 17th and 18th centuries. Or the warlords in Somalia that denied their fellow citizens access to the food aid during the greatest modern famine in Africa in the 80s and 90s. Or what about good old Bashar al-Assad? displacing millions of his own people in just the last six years, creating the worst refugee crisis we've seen. And just last night, if you haven't heard, targeted chemical weapons on a rebel-held town and killed at least 10 children in their beds, sleeping. Or in my personal experience recently, the Crusaders of Southwest Kansas. Three white, middle-aged men spewing hate and ignorance who wanted to murder Muslims and Burmese and destroy homes and families and punish those of us who sought to aid them and comfort them in their 
refugee status. They wanted this hope planned for the day after the general election was going to wake people up. I mean, honestly, what kind of God allows the body of a two-year-old Syrian boy to wash up on the shores of Turkey? I'm mad. When was the last time you can remember when someone you loved was diagnosed with cancer? I'm mad. When was the last time you didn't hear about a marriage or your own relationship that seemed really good, but it's falling apart? When was the last day that needless tears were not shed due to hate and war and violence and injustice and oppression? We are not unacquainted with tears. And when God cannot even live up to our own best expectations of what this all-powerful, all-loving God should be, then what are we going to do? How am I supposed to respond to this, God? And by the way, where are you? There's a book called Lament for a Son by Nicholas Wolterstorff. He says... How is faith to endure? How is faith to endure, O God, when you allow all this scraping and tearing on us? You have allowed rivers of blood to flow, mountains of suffering to pile up, sobs to become humanity's song, all without lifting a finger that we could see. If you have not abandoned us, explain yourself. Why are these Babylonians here, God? Why is my life in torment and misery? Why am I excluded, banished, unwelcome, unloved? And Habakkuk says, well, what about it, God? God says, wait. It's a really unsatisfactory answer, isn't it? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear wait. I don't want to hear be patient. I don't want to hear deliverance is on its way, but you have to wait. I'm going to destroy your city. I'm going to destroy the temple. I'm going to haul you off to Babylon. And in a couple of decades, oh, 70 or so maybe, some of you will get to come home. (laughs) No, God, fix it now. Fix it now. I don't want to wait. My life, my security, my people are being destroyed. Faith isn't easy. I'm 57. I have been where you are. Granted, it was clearly 40 years ago. Your faith needs to be nurtured. Your faith needs to be challenged. You need to practice it. You need to stretch it. You need to move it like a muscle. That's how your faith will grow. So when God says, wait, oh, thank you, God, for giving me an opportunity to let my faith grow. It's not easy. God's answer is difficult. That day for justice is going to come, but not yet. And so faith is trust, faith is patient, and while you wait, 
you got to know God's still working. Amen. I don't know if you do this, but let's stand for the benediction and dismissal. That will get you at least two steps away up for your two minutes you have left. So there's a great Latin phrase called nil illegitimum carborundum, and I loosely translate it, don't let the Babylonians grind you down. (laughs) There will be dawn after dark. There will be beauty from ashes. There will be fulfillment of God's promise and provision. So take that to heart. Take that with you right now out into the world that needs to hear there is hope and faith and trust that is worthy of God. And as we say in my tradition, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. You are dismissed.